Welcome to Cockmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by Cityco, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from Cityco, and I'm with John McGrath, the artistic director of the Manchester International Festival, in their very lovely offices about five floors below our own. John's been in post for a couple of years, succeeding festival founder Alex Boots, who ran off to New York. So we're almost exactly halfway between John's first festival and his second, and thought it would be a good time to catch up on projects and plans. John, thanks for coming on. Um, to start with the, the real basics, um, tell us a bit about your background connection to Manchester and so on, and what attracted you to the festival job. Well, my biggest connection to Manchester is that I lived and worked here for nine years when I was running Contact Theatre, which we reopened in 1999, um, and I ran till 2008, which was really uh, an extraordinary period of time in a, in a venue that I think is very special, um, engages with young people from across Manchester, emerging artists, really, really rooted in the city. Um, so it's a place that I've always felt a deeply creative connection to for that reason, and where I've kept a, an awful lot of friends and um I, I guess artist colleagues over the years um, and particularly some of those younger artists that grew up when I knew them at contact to now um, you know that proper must be quite nice seeing that now. but it also yeah. does make you aware of your age yeah. doesn't it when yeah. you suddenly see them being very established exactly, artists 15 yeah. years um, so, so that's always been a, a big connection. And you know, thinking of the city centre, I lived most of those nine years in in um, in the city centre on the corner of Piccadilly and Oldham Street, and I saw the city centre go through the transformation from 1999 to the mid 2000s, which was itself quite a, a fascinating thing to live through. Um, I, I grew up in Liverpool, so uh, actually, you no know, when you, when you go, uh, you can still hear it in there. Um, and um, actually, when you grew up in Liverpool, particularly back in the day, you actually didn't come to Manchester that much. Um, and then I went off and studied in in New York and stayed there for many years. And one of my <laughs> one of my ironic memories of 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 Manchester from the New York side was being in a, a, a very cool club in New York that I was very pleased to be hanging out in in, in my um, mid-twenties. And all that people were talking about was the sodden hacienda in Manchester uh, and thinking, God, I've organised my whole life to get to be working in New York and um, hanging out in this great place and everyone's talking about Manchester. What's going on? Um, so maybe it was inevitable that I'd end up here in the end. Uh, I have a similar experience, having spent much of my life... This is going back to the conversation with Mr. Haslam, actually. Um, I spent much of my life as a journalist writing about techno, spending some time in uh, Detroit as the home of techno, um, talking to underground resistance and uh, who are obscure but quite brilliant uh, techno heads. Uh, and all they wanted to talk about was Sheffield and the music that came out of Sheffield, which is where I grew up, and I did feel it would be... More, it was a very long time to go, yeah. very long, long way to go. So... Um, so what attracted you to the festival job? So the f the festival is something that, that I was um, involved in from the start, actually. that I was um, part of very early conversations with Alex when he came here. And we actually did a, a really intriguing commission with the festival for its 2007 edition called For All the Wrong Reasons, which featured a, a very um, wide-ranging cast from... Uh, young performers through to the Divine David and um, was directed by Lise Powell's amazing Belgian director. 
So I'd known it well and had always loved the founding principle of the festival, which was that all of the work was entirely new and that artists could be the best known in the world or the most extraordinary um, people, but they were being asked to do something new and to do something that they hadn't done before. And, and that was such a clear and beautiful vision for the festival and I think drove it to its great success. Um, and through the years, I went off to run the National Theatre theatre in Wales and set that up um, but I'd always come back to the festival and, and one thing that I really noticed actually of the years of coming back was the ways in which it started to occupy the city more um, and have more of a sense that during the two and a half weeks of the festival itself that, that the city was in, in a way a different place. Um, and the work that I did between contact and coming back to the festival was entirely around site-specific work, actually. It, we, we set up a national theatre in Wales that had no building and that produced work in warehouses, up mountains, on beaches, often big, ambitious work as well, um, but that would make of wherever it was the, the theatre space that it needed. And so, again, as the festival more and more actually started to to think about the city as its stage, um, again, I became quite intrigued in, in the way that um, it was occupying unusual spaces in, in Manchester. So when the job came up, and as happens with, with these things, um, you know, someone says, oh, would you be interested if, um, you know, in, in applying for this, I, I, I thought, yeah, I would be really interested in applying for that because, it's in a place that I love and that has been on an intriguing journey and an extraordinary journey since I left, becoming ever more a centre for culture. And it is, as a festival, it's got a beautifully clear idea at its heart. And I think there are a lot of arts organisations in the world that do a bit of this and a bit of that. But for me, the best ones are the ones that are really clear about what they do and why they're doing it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, every city now seems to have an international festival and, and many of them are growing and growing. Um, but I can't think of any others that actually that that clear principle that, that Alex and I think Peter Saville work, yeah. working with him came up with yeah. that there should be 10 originally original yeah. commissions at the heart of everything that, that was going on. It, 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 it's such a good mm. elevator pitch mm. and such a good base, basic guiding principle. But I can't think for most other international in quotes, festivals, that, that they're quite as pithy in what they try to do for their yeah. programming team or, or, what, or how they connect with their own city, I guess. And I think that you have to have an extraordinary appetite for risk to, to do this because of course what most international festivals do is they combine a handful of new commissions with other work that the director has been and seen and feels is right for their city and is just a good piece of work and everyone knows every artist has successes and failures so in taking a, a huge range of artists and kinds of work and making all of it new the risk that you run is kind of off the scale artistically not least because you're also landing all of it on a pretty precise pin of 18 days um, but I love that kind of risk and also the organization attracts people to work for it who enjoy that kind of risk and so that means also that you've ended up in a, an environment where you're surrounded in a way by people who who share those kind of values and appetites 
which I can imagine sometimes might be an issue as well. But, um, yeah. Was, was there any trepidation at all? I mean, one of the jokes going around in the city at the time was uh, when, when Alex declared that he was leaving, it was like, maybe you'd like to be the third head of the festival, not necessarily the second head of the festival. Yeah, I think it's, all, it, it's always a challenge to inherit success. Um, but I think that um, I didn't come in with a spirit of, oh, that was that festival, and now we're going to do things completely differently. I think instead what we tried to do was listen to people in the city um, about what most excited them about the festival, but also what they saw as future untapped potential. And also, actually, um, I listen quite a lot internationally to our peers and to people who are doing extraordinary things in venues and festivals around the world because there are other people doing great work. And talk to them about how they perceive the festival again, what were its strengths and weaknesses, what were the um, opportunities that, you know, that we were yet to embrace. And so from those two perspectives of the local and the international, we've got a, a realistic, a very positive, but also a realistic view of the festival, where it was up to and, and what the ne next stage might look like. And then I think over, you know, the first, second, even third festivals that our programme, you get a sense of holding on to that core vision that we all love but also going on a journey so it was, a, it was it's about that classic of evolution rather than revolution in, in in terms of the journey that you want to take things on i think it's about i, I don't know evolution or revolution always sounds like you know the boring people winning um so <laughs> I, you know, I like a bit of revolution but i think it's about taking what what's most exciting and in a way revolutionary about the festival and taking that on a journey okay um i mean you came in what about a year before effectively sort of bang between two festivals didn't you well i was appointed by the by the one before and then started properly in the january okay. of 16 so, so i had about a year and a half so okay. it was a bit of a um, a bit of a mad schedule to be commissioning that volume yeah. of work. I mean, how much was already commissioned and how much did you then have influence I, on? I, I did it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, sp I suppose if you already know that you're leaving, you're not necessarily going to be commissioning the, ne the next lot. I, um, so in terms of when you, when you were talking to those international peers and you're t talking to people in the city and so on, um, what were the messages that you were getting about where you where uh, and then connected with what you wanted to do anyway, with where you wanted to take the festival either in the first year or over the over the next few few festivals? From the city, I think that um, from the artistic community, um, uh, I think the thing that people were most excited about by the festival was that it brought extraordinary international artists to the city, and the thing that people most wanted was more of an understanding of how the work got made, that they'd see these extraordinary products on the stage um, or in a warehouse and want to know more about how that happened and how do you do that kind of work and how do you grow towards it and we answered that in some very straightforward ways by uh, having a series of artist fellowships where people were attached to the work having a, a big program called Creative 50 where 50 emerging Manchester creatives were attached to the festival and ran around seeing loads of, of work and, and meeting loads of artists um, we start we built a, a year-round kind of creative community that 
that supports people and informs them about how the work's being done. And we built up a lot more digital presence that um, allow people different kinds of insights to the work just by having more, even just more artist interviews or works in progress, etc. Um, so that was from the artist community and then from the city as a whole. Um, you know, surprisingly, there were people across the city who didn't know that the festival existed. And so really starting to work on, on an ever wider canvas about how do you get the word out to people? How do you, how do you use, you know, the best, the best um, people for communicating are peers and neighbours, and it's all about who passes on the word to who. So building up year-round networks of people who are engaged by the festival and want more people to know and are willing to inform their neighbours and can we can do um, events where people can come along to. So we set up a project called Festival in My House where people ran their own mini international festivals in their houses for their neighbours. And obviously, you know, those were for relatively tiny groups of people, but the idea itself um, started to, in a way, gather its own momentum. And again, um, definitely people came through that project and others to the festival last year that hadn't come before uh, and that maybe didn't know it was for them before. Internationally, I think that um, that the people loved the scale and the interdisciplinarity of the work and the idea that, that um, different... you. One of the things that I love most about the festival is that when you open the brochure, there's no drama section or dance section or music section because a lot of the work is all of those things. And people really liked that. I think that they, um, the, there was maybe a feeling that, that the um, focus on premieres sometimes didn't maybe allow enough space for artists to determine what form they wanted the work to take and how they wanted to make it. And we maybe needed to just listen even more to artists about how they wanted to form their work. Um, and think about, you know, maybe an expanded range of artists and an expanded range of places that artists might come from. So uh, all good stuff but also there was some challenge back to, oh, is the, um, could, could we guess in advance what an MIF programme might look like? And that actually, of course, that's, that's one of the reasons that we all, you know, we all move to different things at a certain point is so that, you know, a fresh eye comes in and looks at a different range of artists and introduces them to, to essentially a, a really vibrant and exciting um, way of working. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a feeling, I guess, that we started with um, what really was 10 projects. There, was, there wasn't anything else in that, it was in that first festival. It was more than 10, no. Uh, no was it no, more than no. 10? No. Was, the, the major ones. Anyway, no. we, you, you have a very discreet two-week period yeah, yeah. where everything happens during yeah. that two-week. No, you're right, yeah. it was a lot more than 10. Uh, but um, during that two-week period, nothing's happening outside of it. And at, for that first one, at least, there wasn't a huge amount of engagement out on the city streets yeah. at that point. Yeah. And then there gradually became more yeah. involvement and, and, and a sort of spreading into yeah. family activity and yeah. a few other things as well. And, yeah. a, and a few experiments, some of which worked, some of which didn't. Uh, but that gradual evolution, which I think outside of those two-week barriers, which certainly started to massively change last yeah. time around, where yeah. you're starting to do events yeah. a year before and in the months yeah. up, and then all those other schemes that are actually starting to open it up to, yeah. to people locally and, and people nationally. So... Um, I guess, how do you then keep that balance? The festival is still this yeah. two-week period, every or 18-day period, every every two years. 
um, while continuing to spread it both um, community-wise and, and date-wise as well? Well, I think the actually even when we've been doing work out in the community around the year what we've kept at the moment is the sense that all of this is focused on the idea of a festival so even a project like festival in my house sort of says it in the name it's about people in locations across the city exploring what a festival is so they do their own mini festival and then the big festival happens and people have more of an insight into that and hopefully um use that as a way of explaining and encouraging neighbours to, to, to come along. So I think the festivalness of the festival is actually really important. Um, one of the things that I like about Manchester International Festival is that in a way it's, it's not the complete um, glorious creative chaos of Edinburgh. It's a different thing. It actually is more focused. You can get your head around a, a list of projects that are going on, a list of shows that are happening. Um, and it, and it, I think that focus remains very important. Um, obviously, we're going to talk probably later on about some of the big changes we're going through that um, will make us a more year-round organisation. But I think that sense that over an 18-day period, the city is transformed by the festival and we're in a different place. Maxine Peake described it as going on holiday in your own city. Um, that is really important to hold on to. And whatever happens in the future, I think that sense that for 18 days every two years, the city is this magically creative place in a way that's different um, to the rest of the year is really important to, to maintain. I'm interested in that sort of that gap. I mean, you said you, obviously you were coming back for the festival and, and still involved with the city, um, but being effectively out of the city during during that period uh, with National Theatre Wales, um, did you see a change when you came back in not the festival itself, but the impact on other cultural venue, venues and establishments and what was were the standards or the focus? Do you think that's been changed by the festival during that period? I, I definitely think there's increased cultural confidence in the city, and I think there's a there's a number of factors to that. One of them is undoubtedly the festival and the success of the festival. I think the the um, transformations and success at places like the Whitworth and uh, um, the change of corner house into and library into home all have been part of that. And you really can't underestimate actually the importance of having a city council that has consistently over the last many years now backed culture as a key strand of what it does not a luxury item but absolutely central to its economic and social vision for the city uh, and I think that sense that in a, a world and a country in which everything was becoming very, very unpredictable and changes and swings of governments and politics were happening all the time, that Manchester had consistently um, put culture at the centre of its vision, had a huge impact on um, people's attitudes and within the art sector itself had spread a, a great confidence. Um, and I, I definitely, I, I mean, it is infinitely easier to... Um, invite 
an international artist to come and work in Manchester now than it would have been 10, 15 years ago. Uh, that sense that it is a place where you would come and make work um, and where significant artists would expect to be seen is, is definitely uh, part of the reputation of the city. And, and how much do you think the, the festival actually reflects the city in which it's hosted and the city by which, it, which it's created? How different would it be if the similar concept was in a different regional city in Europe? I think that it is our um, goal to reflect the city while also being profoundly international. And the fact that Manchester is as global and diverse a city it is makes those two things much easier awesome to match up. Yeah. So <laughs> the the idea that you know that you could bring an artist from you know Africa or South Asia and that uh, there might be you know a very significant population in the city that knows and is familiar with that artist's work in their home base actually is a great opportunity and a great invitation. Um, I think the 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 ways in which we're um, embracing of the city that we're in can continue to grow. Um, and the, you know, ideally uh, an arts organization should reflect its its home base in its staff, in its board, in its audiences, in the in the most thorough possible way. And that's something that, that we've been doing a lot of work towards. Um, and it's a journey that we're still on. And the boring question, I guess, but the most probably the most important question: How's the festival funded these days? I mean, has it has it changed over the the decade and more that it's been running? Where that funding comes from? The the, the big initial investment for the festival was from Manchester City Council, and it really came out of that belief in the council. As we know, post Commonwealth Games, that maybe having made a, a shift through sport in the perception of the city that that. Uh, a different but equivalent investment in culture could be another key part of the picture. Um, over the years, um, the Arts Council, as the National Arts Funder, sort of grew its investment and came more on board. And I think that was definitely a recognition of the success the festival was happening, um, uh, the, the, the success the festival was having. And the um, from day one, there's been a much higher level of corporate support for this festival than for most arts organisations in the UK. Um, and that's due both to the great talent of people inside the organisation, like my colleague Christine Court, managing director, who is genuinely one of the best fundraisers in the country. And also, again, the commitment of the city that, you know, was willing to say to people coming to do business in the city, have you heard about our festival and wouldn't you like to support it? Um, going forward, again, uh, as, as, as we go into future developments, there's been, um, you know, big investments from national government as part of Northern Powerhouse Initiative in, um, in the festival and other uh, cultural possibilities for the city so that will shift things uh, and our big goal in terms of funding for the future is to think also more about international partnerships so what are the the big international companies that we um, have shared values with or have a, um, a closeness in terms of vision or ideas about the future that we really should be in in some sort of a sponsorship partnership with
And it seems to be increasing in the model. Uh, I mean, you, you come from the world rather than I do, but it seems to notice more productions that are being made either in the UK or in, or in, in the States or elsewhere that then are, are, are co-funded by three or four different partners globally and then they move around between those partners. And that's sort of the model that's been in TV for 30-odd years now seems to be the model in theatre and opera and, and shows generally. And again... The, the festival has been one of the prime movers in making that model more central in the UK. So most of the big work at the festival has one, two or three international co-producers. And that's how we make that work possible. And, and the offer that we make to our co-producers is that, you know, that we do a lot of the work and we take a lot of the risk because we're putting in all of the producing organisational capacity and also we'll be the ones who have egg in our faces if the show is a complete disaster when it opens whereas they'll have a bit of an opportunity to fix it. Um, but what we get for that, obviously, is that we get to do it first. Uh, for artists, actually, often showing a, first, a show first in Manchester can be a more generous environment, maybe, than uh, you know, initially showing it right away in New York or London. So the, on all sides, it can feel like a, a, a good arrangement. Um, but it was relatively unusual for UK organisations to regularly co-produce on an international basis prior to this festival. Um, and uh, that, I think the Manchester International Festival has a, a, a big national role to play there, actually, in, in um, setting that way of working in motion. Are we starting to see that spread? So. Uh, other festivals and, and other festivals and other you see a bit more of it in venues it would always happen in certain settings so like say the royal opera house you know a new opera will usually be commissioned amongst several opera houses but that's a very specific field and again mif might be working with an opera house they might be working with a club environment in Turin, they might be working with an abandoned warehouse um, with a promoter behind it somewhere else. And they might be doing that all on the same show. So the, I think that there was a, um, an innovative approach to international co-production. And it's been absolutely crucial, both to the success in terms of being able to do those big shows, but also, of course, one of the great benefits of that is that those shows then go around the world and every poster on every wall in every city where one of those shows is on has Manchester and Manchester International Festival on that poster. So it takes the name of the festival and the name of the city around the world as a key cultural player. And I guess encourages the journalists from the, city, the future cities where those shows are going to be to come to the premieres and come to the first shows, absolutely, which, which is yeah. good for the branding. Yeah, well. absolutely. Um, I guess alongside and within the future of the festival, there is, of course, the factory yeah. uh, being built in St. John's, a uh, newly named area, well, no, supposedly not newly named area of, of Manchester. Uh, um, talk us through the impact that that, that can have. And, and will that change how you, th you think about the festival programmes, actually having a venue? So... The factory started life as a as a an idea, really, uh, uh, coming out of the Northern Powerhouse moment, that maybe a venue or a space in Manchester that was um, dedicated to or had at its heart the kind of work that MIF did would be uh, exciting next stage to this big cultural journey for Manchester. And it took a couple of years to go from 
the idea that that could and should happen and the commitment in theory from central government and from the city council to it to working out what that meant um but what it has come to mean is a, a very big warehouse space with some interesting additions such as a seating bank that kind of slides into the side of it um um, equally importantly, what it's come to mean is that that venue, that space, would actually be operated year-round by the festival. So in the early days, one of the possibilities was that the festival just used it during the festival. Um, but because the kind of work that the festival makes is at the heart of the building's um, concept, and because the people who are best at making the kind of work that the festival makes are, of course, the festival, ultimately, it, it, it's felt clear that we needed to be um, the year-round um, operators of that venue. But it's actually much more than a venue. It's, a, it's kind of an idea about Manchester as a centre for large-scale cultural production exporting to the world so yes on a day-to-day -day basis that means that our um, 18 days that we build up to for every two years still remains a key moment on our horizon but that we're also producing this work both to show in manchester and to export around the world on a daily basis and um that changes the organization it means that we grow exponentially in size which we're starting to do now because we need to be ready for the building to open and it does i i think invite really interesting questions then about what the festival becomes and the first question is well if you've got the factory do you still need the festival but i think for all the reasons that we've just been talking about that idea that there's a moment where the city as a whole is transformed there's a moment when the eyes of the cultural world turn to manchester all all together that still to me signifies that the festival is doing something special that even an extraordinary building project like the factory won't do in quite that same way. Um, I think it's an invitation to be, um, in a way, ever more radical with the festival, to try out things that we wouldn't even be able to try out year round in the factory, to um, think about the city as a canvas and a stage, because if we're gonna burst out of that building, then we'd better burst out with a vengeance. So really think about how the, um, how, how the festival can explore and explode the city. And also actually to think of, um, the festival as the, the moment where we do our biggest thinking and our biggest um, uh, invitation for everybody to imagine the future. So that it's the, it's the sort of, it's the moment of, the big moment of debate and of ideas that then over the following two years with the factory and with other projects will, um, I guess, be developed in more detail. So it's sort of the, the party, the away day, the moment of blue skies thinking, the um, carnival. It's all that it's is that special moment where the rules are set aside and the impossible is imagined. I suppose it won't be possible actually running the factory though to have that sort of two weeks after the time the 
the, the festival ends of going <sighs> and relaxing. You've got you've, no, you've got a venue that you've got a program and, and, and continue to and work. And that's the big difference, and that's where we, you know, that's the sort of organisational change that we're going through at the moment. I, I guess the other really interesting thing, which I, which has always been a bit of a, a criticism, or rather, it's more more a wish list um, for the festival, is is the impact it has on the associated skills and and the creative production skills um, that having just that two-week period with the months before of actually being able to almost have that assembly line of the lighting technicians and uh, and the costume people and all all of those in the city making those huge productions takes us to a obviously the Royal Exchange and all the others that they have that but it takes us to a very very different level in terms of those associated skills doesn't it yes and I think that we're really keen to be part of quite an integrated cultural economy so the idea isn't that we employ hundreds of people that work just and permanently for the factory in those areas. Obviously, we'll have a core of people, but because the different projects will be very differently made, we'll need different skill sets for different projects. So there'll also be a lot of freelance engagement with the factory, as there is currently with the festival. So people who come in and do maybe a couple of projects a year because their specialism is digital motion tracking or um, beautifully complex scenic painting. And the, the rest of the time that those people might be working in other parts of the cultural and creative industries, but hopefully in the region so that people can have a solid base here. Um, also, as our shows start to tour more and more around the world, there'll also be groups of people who are attached to projects, but might be off in Sydney or Moscow working on those projects. Um, the other thing that's really important to say about the factory is that we also see it as a training academy. And this is, again, somewhere where we'll be working very, very closely with other arts organisations in the city and actually forming a training consortium where we create a lot more apprenticeships, also um, more um, loosely structured traineeships, uh, ways of working with the FE sector to get young people into placements, etc. So the part of the economic impact of the factory should be to um, train people up for jobs in the creative industries. Because one of the positive things about having a stronger cultural economy in the city is that, of course, people will relocate here and start to um, get jobs in those cultural industries and that will have a positive impact on the city. But that's no good if it means that people who are already here don't have access to, to jobs and training and skills and employment opportunities. So that it's really important that as part of the overall practice of the factory, that training and those points of access are provided to a really wide range of young and not young people in the city. And um, when does the factory open and is it on schedule? The schedule for a very large building is uh, is an elastic thing, <laughs> yeah. as we all know. Um, we start. The usual line is: it depends what you mean by schedule. <laughs> yes, which schedule, whose schedule? I mean, I think I've got uh, several different ones, but the um, the you know it, it will it will open in in the next 
couple of years. And um, if you went down to the site at the moment, it would look exactly the same as it looked two years ago when we first talked about the factory. Because of course, you know, most of the design work's been happening in, in uh, you know in digital space thus far. Um, but actually, that transformation on the ground will start to happen for real from this summer on. And at, it, it, it's a complicated building in the sense that it's up in the air and has to cross a road. Um, but also on one level, it's also just a big empty warehouse. And um, it, once we get through the early stages of building, it should become increasingly straightforward. That's a long answer to a short <laughs> question, isn't it? It is. A, it <laughs> the is. answer is I'm not it's quite not, sure. Not sure, but... <laughs> Not too long. Um, returning to the festival and I guess the 2019 festival, yeah. what are we going to see before that? You've got some shows before that. And then what are your hopes for the 2019 festival? So we, as part of the transition to the factory, we, uh, um, we started a, a transition programme of, of events that will be called pre-factory events. And there'll be examples of the kinds of work or the kind of artists that you might see in the factory. Um, uh, but scattered through the year. We did a couple actually during the 17th festival um, and that'll include sometimes existing work because the factory will also bring UK premieres of some big work that's happened elsewhere while its main strand will be the creation of entirely new work in the factory space. So we're just beginning to get a sense of, well, what might it be like it be to have the back factory year round? some of the old It could do, actually. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's Monkey gets two, mentioned quite a lot. As, yeah, well, there's one or two festival projects that, that we've talked about from several years ago, actually, that we've talked about potentially bringing back in. Um, so that pattern of work starts this autumn with um, uh, a piece that we're... Uh, co-presenting with Art Angel, Heinrich Goebbels, everything that happened and would happen. And that's going to be in Mayfield Depot. And there'll be I'm getting hit with on fa Facebook all the time at the moment. Good sign, <laughs> yes, absolutely. There's a second very different um, programme of work that will be announced soon that will um, come shortly after that. Um, then we'll have some factory ex um, pre-factory work inside the 19th Festival. And then we'll have some pre-factory um, special shows in the run-up to the opening, which will, which will also include work that's very much about making sure that everybody in the city knows that they're invited to and welcome to be part of the factory and that it's not an exclusive venue that's only for certain sets of people. So there's a big journey, um, and but essentially... The, old, the festival has something that only happened every two years um, as a, in organisationally is um, already a thing of the past in the sense that we're starting from this autumn to, to programme other things that happen, which also gives us an opportunity actually to test out that, that whole um, question that we were looking at a few minutes ago, which is how do you then keep the festival very special within that year-round programme? Um, so that's that's where we're up to in terms of the 2019 program. I'm I had a bit longer to work on this one, which was very nice. Um, so we've got a really exciting draft of the program. 
um, which I actually think is going to be reasonably close to what we end up with because a lot of those, a lot of the projects are, are now, you know, work is underway on them. We're, we're starting to have artists come and visit the spaces where they might present the work. I'm spending a lot of time on planes and trains at the moment going off to different countries where the artists are, are based and um, talking about the plans for the work. So it's it's very much falling into place. Uh, again, as last year, we'll have some exciting things happening in public space. We'll have a really um, strong digital program that underpins those, um, that, those core commissions. And um, uh, I think, yeah, I, I think there'll be lots to entertain and delight. Uh, we never have a theme for a festival, but there's a certain, I don't know, a rather wonderful, quite um, joyous theme that is starting to, or link that I'm starting to see in some of the projects and some big ambitious stuff about the meaning of life as well. Um, we'll announce, as in previous years, probably a small handful of work in the autumn, and then we'll do the big program announcement in March. And people who have signed up for membership in advance will get opportunities to, to pre-buy some of the, um, the harder to get tickets. And would you do a similar thing to last time where you actually released some tickets and then you kept some local as well, didn't you? Uh, so we released some of the a set of tickets in the autumn for probably around about three big productions. And then we'll do a pre-sale for members. Um, and then we'll also always have our 10% um, of of uh, heavily discounted tickets for local people on relatively low incomes, which is which is a great idea, and and uh, obviously with the with the last show, I think the thing that probably everybody remembers, certainly my PA who was one of the models, uh, was was Jeremy Dallas piece in, in Piccadilly Gardens. Is it very much your intention to keep those sort of big pieces that can involve as many people as possible, and, and really become the memory points of the city as well, don't they? Yeah, I think that that work that you know that in a way is a, a significant public moment it is really important. And I think again, is a, a great thing that, uh, that, a, that a festival can provide. I think with what is the city, but the people, we managed to do it in a way that was very unlike how it's usually done in festivals, you know, where there's certain, you know, kind of combination of fireworks and maybe an orchestra and some projections. And the, the, I think that what, Jeremy did and other people like Richard who worked on that project was say actually you can have a very clear and simple artwork at the heart of something that then becomes a great public memory point. And that was that was such a classic and people engaged with it in so many different ways yeah. uh, but that that point of uh, being something that was absolutely exciting and absolutely enthralled the city in yeah. so many ways uh, it worked wonderfully on, yeah. on that point definitely. Thank you to John for joining me. If you've got any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future, you can talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR or through email on podcast at cityco.com. We'll be talking to more cultural leaders uh, in the future. Cottonmouth Manchester is available on all good podcast services. Please leave us a review if you like what you hear. Thank you.